praise our God for you who are in attendance this morning and those who are in attendance online. We're thankful to you for your gift of love for God. And we're thankful to God for his gift of love towards you. We praise his name and we just like to welcome each of you this morning, both members and visitors alike. Let's go to God, please, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do praise your holy and divine name and thank you so very much for allowing us to arise from our beds of slumber today to be able to worship you yet one more time. And Lord God, we pray that our worship today will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight and in accordance to your will and your way. Asking, Lord God, that you remove all worldly thought from our minds that we might be able to focus on your word and listen to the lesson from your word. As you read your word, Lord God, today, we pray that you will bless us as only you can. Help us to remember Jesus always and never forget that amazing sacrifice that has been made in our behalf. These things we ask and pray and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ to be thy will. Amen. This morning, we're going to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to discuss forgiveness in prayer. Forgiveness in prayer. When we think about the disciples' prayer, God told them they had to forgive. And praying for forgiveness for self, well, that's pretty easy, right? The hard part comes where we have to pray for forgiveness because of the sins that someone has committed against me. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Praying for our enemies, if you will, or praying uh, for people who have sinned against you. Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. May I ask, when, turn to Luke please, chapter 23. When is the last time that you prayed for an enemy? In our prayers, we pray every day, but when is the last time? That you prayed for one of your enemies. Luke 23 in verse 34. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots dividing up his garments among themselves. Turn to chapter 11. And you say, well, Jesus, you know, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But Jesus, these people knew what they were doing. They knew what they were saying about me, and so I didn't want to forgive them. Luke 11 and verse 4. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Begin making your way back to the book of Job this morning. Before you pray today, I'm sure you've already prayed, but before you pray again today, 
may I ask this question? Can you honestly and truly say today that you have forgiven already everyone who's ever sinned against you? In all the days of your life, can you say that you have forgiven them? Would that statement be true for you? And I want to look at some very real statements that are, are, are just heart-wrenching from these friends of Job, right? Job's friends come uh, along the way and uh, they immediately do what so many people do. They draw a conclusion without having all the facts or any information. And Job's suffering, it, it, it wasn't as important as Job's reason for his suffering. You know, that was the argument, you know, it was like, well, here's, here's why Job's suffering. No, 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 Job's suffering because of this. No, no, wait, maybe it's because of that. It wasn't that he was suffering. It was the reason that he was suffering. And then along with that, the second part is it was about being right. You know, oh, I know I'm right in what I'm saying about Job, right? I want you to think about prayer. That's what, that's what we're getting. We're getting to that. We're going to build it. Let's build this lesson together. Job chapter 4. Let's begin at verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Timonite answered, If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the totter, tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Oh, mister, it, you know, it seems like, I'm going to say this a couple of times, I think, when you read the book of Job, it seems like they were a little upset with him for being righteous. You know, oh, now that you're sick, Job, now you're impatient and won't listen to what others have to say. He goes on to say in verse 7 and verse 8, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. Job, your sins are coming back on you right now. Wow. Job, I'm just, I'm just sitting here sick and hurting and, and pain and And all you come here to do, it seems like, is to, is to, is to, to hurt me. Job chapter one, the, the Bible tells us that there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil, and yet these accusations that came against him were like almost, if you will, they were saying, Job, because you did good and you did right, but now we're going to punish you. Chapter eight. Job, now your sin has come back upon you. Chapter 8, beginning at verse 3. Does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert what is right? If your sons sinned against him, then he delivered them into the power of their transgression. Ouch! Build, build that. Whoa, wait, wait a minute. My, my family just died. And I'm lying here sick and suffering. And, and, and you, 
You have the audacity to come to me and say, you know, basically your sons got what they deserved. They're being paid back for their sins. Joel, aren't you listening to us? Ouch. And then, and then Eliphaz, turn to chapter 15. Eliphaz comes in and, and, and here Job is suffering and, and, and struggling and verse 4, indeed you do away with reverence and hinder meditation before God. For your guilt teaches your mouth and you choose, chose the language of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. And your own lips testify against you, Job. Wow. Chapter 22, 22, beginning at verse, verse 4. Eliphaz continues, Is it because of your reverence that he reproves you? That he enters in a judgment against you? Is not your wickedness great and your iniquities without end? For you have taken pledges of your brothers without cause and stripped men naked. To the weary you have given no water to drink. And from the hungry you have withheld bread. Look at verse 9. You have sent widows away empty. And the strength of the orphans has been crushed. Verse 23. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent, Job, you walk away from God. And yet you read the book of Job and, and, and it's a complete opposite. Job did all these things in the positive. He took care of the widows and the orphans and those who had needs. But now he's lying in his bed suffering. It's interesting we call these three men, Job's three friends. We ought to call them something else. Job chapter 20, verse 28. The increase of his house will depart. His possessions will flow away in the day of his anger. This is the wicked man's portion from God. Even the heritage decreed to him by God. You know, Job, you, you know, you realize the reason why all your stuff is gone and destroyed from chapter 1, all these things that happen to you, it's because God's just angry at you because you're just so wicked. Isn't it interesting, the, the understanding of, of Job from the three men's perspective and then what God says about Job, he's upright and blameless, fearing God and turning away from evil and holding fast his integrity. And yet these men come along and say, Job, you're wicked. Your family's wicked, and that's the reason you're suffering, and God is angry at you, and that's why God's trying to tear you apart. What? And remember that the entire time they're saying this, Job is lying in pain and suffering. So much so, the Bible tells us in the very beginning of this book that Job's friends saw him. They saw his condition and they didn't even utter a word for seven days. That's when they were friends. But as soon as they opened their mouths. Listen to what Job says about them. Chapter 16. About the words that they 
they are declaring, accusing him of. Job chapter 16, beginning of verse 1. Then Job answered, I've heard many such things. Sorry comforters are you all. Is there no limit to your windy words? Or, or what plagues you that you answer? I too could speak like you. If I were in your place, I could compose words against you and shake my hand at you. I mean, it's easy to do what you're doing. But I'm over here suffering. And you are a bunch of sorry comforters. Job continues to say, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Then Job responded, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? These ten times you have insulted me. You are not ashamed to wrong me. Even if I have truly erred, my error lodges with me. So Job's point is that, okay, if I've sinned, like you say, that's between me and God. It has nothing to do with you. These folks weren't very good at minding their own business, were they? All right. So you might ask, well, okay, preacher. We, we got in that dialogue. We thank you for it. But um, what does that have to do with prayer? Turn to chapter 42, please. We'll begin at verse 7. This is what God says. And it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job. That the Lord said to Eliphaz the Timonite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Timonite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Timonite, the Nahamite, Methite, went and did as the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job. Alright, so um, you told me God was angry at me. You called me wicked and evil. You talked bad about my children who are now deceased. My family and all the destruction I've gone through. And now you're going to come to me and ask me to pray for you? I don't think so. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Wait a minute, preacher. That's not how you're supposed to talk, but that's how we are. How many of you would have said to the Lord, Okay, God, I'm ready to pray for them right now. And what kind of prayer would you have said? <laughs> Dear God, please destroy them now. <laughs> Dear God, you heard what they said about me. We might have complained to the Lord and said, Lord, I, I can't pray for them now. My heart isn't ready to pray for them. How long would it have taken you to forgive them so that you could pray? 
How difficult would it have been to pray to God about people like that in your life? Think about that. And in verse 10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. But the question this morning is, when did God do all of that? It seems as though in the verse that Job's prayer is immediately associated with the response of God and the blessing of God. As if, had Job not prayed, God would not have done what God did for Job. Look again at verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Prayer. Forgiveness in prayer. I wonder, let's turn to Matthew, please, chapter 6. How many, how many blessings of God have maybe been withheld from me because I was unwilling to pray for my enemies. Because I can't find the forgiveness in my heart toward someone who has wronged me. We need provisions from God. Thank you, God, for that. But we need God's forgiveness too. And, and the message is clear. Children of God have to learn to possess the ability to forgive. If not, our prayers are hindered. You see, it's in forgiveness that we're able to teach Jesus to even our enemies. But you know, it's hard to teach Jesus to your enemy when you, when you refuse to forgive them. Right? And I know you might say, but they don't deserve to be forgiven by me. Do you know what they did to me? I get it. God gets it. I get it. You get it. It's hard. But it's what the Lord tells us to do. And this isn't the only difficult thing the Lord has told us to do. In verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, the disciples' prayer, Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You do hear the tense, don't you? And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So what, what wrong? Turn to Genesis chapter 50. 
what what wrong when you think about your life and all the things that that people have done to you and, and you know this is this is tough some sometimes there are some things in in our lives that people have done to us that are, that are nearly earth shattering i mean they're destroying families destroying individuals lives and their mind and their relationship with the lord in in the sense that just i mean it just it's so appalling sometimes the things that happens in our lives but what wrong could someone possibly do to you that would cause you to say to yourself i'm not going to forgive even if it keeps me out of heaven. Can you think of one? But even, even if it's something that is earth-shattering, so devastating, and so difficult, you still have to forgive. It's not an option. It's not even a suggestion. It's a commandment. Now, you, you've read about Joseph, about his, his lying, conniving, deceiving brothers, sold him into slavery. And, and thank God that he was able to reach a spiritual plateau or level where he could see things a little more clearly. But they weren't finished lying yet. And when... And when his father, when Joseph's father, Jacob, died, and they were suffering and struggling through this, and you can imagine all the years that Joseph spent not being able to be with his father because of what his brothers did to him. And then his brothers come to him while he's mourning and grieving the death of his father. And in Genesis chapter 50, in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God, the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Did did dad really write that letter, brothers? I mean, why didn't he just tell me that before he died? Y'all are still lying. But Joseph, was able to say in verse 18 and following, then his, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I think it's interesting. They come to him and they go, we are your servants. He could have just stepped back and said, I know that. But that's not what he does. He he forgives them. He forgives them. 
Turn to First Samuel. Scott's uh, closed, closed out First Samuel, and now we're about to go into Second Samuel and in First Samuel uh, 24. David forgave Saul. And I want you to think about the, the prayers echoed from David regarding Saul. But I just want to look at verse 10. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. I mean, I could. And I could have. And I know you're wicked. I know you're evil. But see, you belong to God, not to me. See what he did? He was able to find God in, in this various situation that he was in. Looking to God. That's how we learn forgiveness. Instead of looking at individuals and all the wickedness they've done and how wicked they are, you look to Jesus, you look to God and you say, thank you God that today I'm alive. I'm here. Ready to do your bidding. In verse 17, same chapter. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I. For you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. And you have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy... Will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. And then, you know, the rest of the story, you know, they go home happy and Saul never goes after David again. (laughs) Wrong book, right? Nothing on the earth that anyone has ever done to you or could ever do to you is worth you losing your soul. Please turn to Luke chapter 11. I know you say, well, preacher, that's just not fair. It's not fair that I have to pray for my enemy when my enemy's done me so much wrong and, and evil. Life, brethren, isn't fair. The message is crystal clear. There is absolutely nothing that God cannot or will not forgive. We repent of our sins. We come to the Lord. Surrender to him in the waters of baptism. There's nothing that God cannot or will not forgive. And God expects us to understand also, there's nothing that we cannot forgive. We choose not to forgive. 
and we forget that forgiveness really isn't for the other person. It's for me. We pray and depend upon God to grant us the power to forgive others. The power even to forgive ourselves. We pray, God, please help me to forgive. You've got to pray to, to God and ask Him to help you to forgive those people who have wronged you. Verse 2 of Luke 11. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Am I able to pray like that? Father, I have forgiven everyone who's indebted to me. Or does my prayer go more like, Father, help me to forgive everyone who's indebted to me. I want to close in Matthew chapter, chapter 5. So an individual decides he, he wants to come to Christ. And all through high school, he's been, he's been your enemy. She's been your enemy. Just really haven't been nice to you. And, and they decide they, they want to come to Christ. And they know you, you're, you're a Christian. And and one day they come in and knock on your door. And you really don't want to open your door. You're pretty reluctant because you know what's going to happen, right? And you go down and you open your door. And they come to your home and they say, will you, will you teach me about Jesus? And automatically your suspicion arises, right? He's just looking for an opportunity to get into my house. And then, or she's just trying. And we're very reluctant because of the pain the individual has caused us throughout our lives. But somehow, some way, through all the teaching and etc., they humble themselves and they come to the Lord. And it's your first worship day. And you walk through the doors of the church building, and there they are. And you're kind of happy, but very suspicious. And you harbor in your heart still a grudge. What does God tell you to do about that? Matthew 5, verse 23. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Reconciliation has to happen amongst us. So today, if you if you have if you have ought with your brother, if there's an issue in your home, if there's an issue at your job or wherever you may be in the congregation or outside of the congregation in the world, forgive. 
forgive. And it's interesting, the Bible says your money is no good until you forgive. Leave your money at the altar. Don't put it in the collection plate. God's not ready to receive it yet. Go get it right first. And then come back and give your offering. This morning, the lesson is yours. I pray and trust and hope that something is said to encourage you that if you have all with your brother, find the ability. Pray to God and ask for his forgiveness. And then ask him to help you to forgive those who've wronged you. Learn how to give them over to the Lord. If you're not a Christian, that's what we ask God for. Please, make, it, make us right. Make the wrongs right. Turn us around. You heard his word. You believe his word. And you are willing to have godly sorrow in your heart. And you confess his name. You baptize immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And God removes all your sins. Forgives them all, each and every one of them. Thank you, God, for your great blessing and your great gift of love. This morning, the lesson is yours. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation if we can help in any way. Please make that known to us. Thank you for your time this morning. We appreciate seeing each and every one of you. God bless you.